Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Sundays in the midst of this worship series, Fueling Our Faith on the Means of Grace. And as such, we've been referring back to the three rules of Methodism. We only have three general rules. The first being do no harm by avoiding evil. The second, do all the good that you can in all the ways you can to all the people that you can. And the third is attend upon the ordinances of God, which are listed as the public worship of God, the ministry of the word, either read or expounded, the supper of the Lord, family and private prayer, searching the scriptures, fasting or abstinence. And today we're speaking about the supper of the Lord. We will not be partaking in communion today. I took some flack after 9.30 for that. You mean after all of that, we're not going to take communion? Well, we will in May, and hopefully you'll be energized to come. So as we enter into this, I want to remind you that in the Methodist Church, a means of grace is something that God gives to us as an ability to not only encounter God's grace, but to grow in it, to use it to fuel our faith, to help us deepen and mature our spirituality so that we can grow into the more mature children of God that we are all called to be. And so today, what we are pondering is not only a means of grace, but it is a sacrament. It is a outward, visible, tangible sign of God's grace for us, and that is the Supper of the Lord. Or, depending on the background that you've encountered as you've come into the church, you might refer to this in the Latin, the Eucharist. You might know it as the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, communion, holy communion. All of these refer to the same remembrance and transformative sacrament that we celebrate here, where there is the table of the Lord, and upon it sits the bread and the cup. And as we are given the opportunity to encounter them, we recall Christ's offering for us. That's the whole point of communion. And unlike other sacraments that are once in a lifetime, such as baptism, communion is something that we can take as often as we like. In fact, if you were to call or email or Facebook me and let me know that you want a communion, I would make it happen. Now, I don't keep all of that in my pocket. You're going to have to give me just a little bit of notice. But I am happy to either bring communion. I've done it, brought it to the hospitals. I brought it to homebound. Um, members of our congregation. I've taken it out when we've done retreats. I've gone to confirmation retreats with youth and done it there. It's a very portable ministry of, of, the, of the Eucharist or Holy Communion, and we make it available because it is that important. Now, John Wesley, one of the founding faithful of United Methodism, believed that we should take communion as often as we can. He would be a little perturbed with me that we only take communion on the first Sunday of the month. I'm sure there are other things that he would be perturbed at me about, but that would be top on his list. But there are other United Methodist churches that only take communion once a quarter. And that's not to say we're better because we do it once a month. But we have lost something 
and understanding the Eucharist. We have lost something about Holy Communion when we're willing to go so long without it. Now, there are other denominations, and there are some United Methodist churches that offer communion every single worship service every Sunday. And people have a variety of feelings about that, all of which I think are valid. One of the things that you'll hear people say is, well, if you do it every Sunday, then it's not special. If we're doing Holy Communion so that we don't think it's special, we're doing it wrong. It is special. It is incredibly unique. It is the one table in all the world where there is space for all. It is the one place where people can come in all of their states of grace, all of their imperfections and their frailties, and they can come here and experience that they are loved. Nowhere else in all the world is that possible except at the Lord's table. And at the Lord's table, when we gather there, we come to God who has already prepared the table for us. And we draw close to our God in order to be reminded about what happened that first night. That first night when Jesus transformed the Passover Seder. He and his 12 disciples, they gathered together in an upper room and they thought they were just going through this age-old ritual of Passover. They were going to recount the, the mighty acts of God in the book of Exodus. They were going to remember how God saved them. And then they were going to go home and go to bed. Instead, Jesus did something radical. Jesus took his bread before the meal. And he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, take and eat this. This is my body, which is given for you. And then they continued the meal as they would normally. But afterwards, he took his cup and he blessed it and he gave it to them. And he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he commanded them, do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. The gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke say this to us. That in various ways they recount how important it was that he offered this to those first disciples who had no idea exactly what Jesus was doing. But Paul tells us in his letter to Corinth that this gift has remained a vital, crucial part, not only of Christendom, but of their worship if we pay careful attention to the wording, we'll find out that this was the way in which they were worshiping in Corinth and the other churches that Paul founded. Worship looked like this on Sunday morning. The people would gather together, and there they would begin by the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the bread. Then they would have a meal together, a common meal filled with food and fellowship. And at the end of that, they would share of the cup. That communion was the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega of their worship experience. Now, we could have an experience like that. I have never had one with a congregation this large where we will begin with the bread and then have a meal and then have a drink afterwards. I don't know how the trustees will feel about that. And you'll be here till about three o'clock. But that was how worship was. And we forget because food is so easily available to us that for some Christians, that was the only full meal they were going to get all week. It was a powerful experience to draw in together as the body of Christ. Remember these mighty acts 
of salvation that Christ gave for us upon the cross and to enjoy being together and being fed and looking forward to it the very next Sunday. It was more than a holy snack. It was more than this thing we do because we were raised to do it. It was a time for people to remember that they had been chosen. Many of the first Christians were rejected by society. They were given no voice, no power, no place. But here at the table, they were welcomed. They were honored. They were considered worthy because God had mandated that they were to be children of God. And so here they could find a place where they were kept out, locked out, shut out, sent out everywhere else in the world. But the communion table was a place for them to be loved and accepted. And so communion changes everything. Now, when we draw forward to the communion table, there are many ideas of what's going on there. I love the fact that when we have it here, it's unimpeded all the way out into the world. That you could literally walk in off the street and walk right down to the table and receive what God has given for us. I love that. So what is it that God is doing for us? Well, there are all kinds of theologies that lead into doctrines about what's going on in communion. Now, our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ, they understand transubstantiation, that the bread and the cup are literally transformed into the body and the blood of Christ. It's a very high understanding of Holy Communion, very sacred. And so that's how they understand what is going on, that the bread and the cup cease to exist and they become the body and the blood. Now, our Lutheran and Anglican brothers and sisters in Christ, they understand consubstantiation, that with the bread and the cup are the body and the blood of Christ in some way that God makes occur through the presence and the movement of the Holy Spirit. There are others in Christendom who believe that nothing is happening there. They call that Zwingliism or memorialism that we're simply remembering. However, in the United Methodist Church, there's one thing that I love about our theology of communion. We have no idea what is going on. And we say that this is a holy mystery, which sounds very elegant and very consecrated. And I don't know. Because we don't know. This we do know. This we know. That in our liturgy, when we call upon the Holy Spirit to transform these elements, this bread and this cup, so that we who receive them will be transformed as well into the body of Christ redeemed by his blood, we know that happens. We know this because Jesus Christ says, ask and you shall receive. And so when we ask for these to be transformed in some way, that we too may be transformed, we can rest assured that it is so. As my son used to like to say, there's no bread in the world that tastes better than this bread. That's the taste of grace. That's precisely what that is. Now, when my child was growing up, oftentimes you'd have extra communion bread, and, and my last church used Hawaiian bread. And so we would have extra bread and juice, and my son would just sit in the back and just eat it. And so he went through this phase, and the preschool was in my church. And so for about two months, his lunch consisted of unconsecrated communion elements, which he called the body of Christ and juicy wine. Holy mystery. 
But even a preschooler could understand that there was something wonderful about communion. So wonderful that he wanted it every day for a meal. That's powerful. That transcends the depth of the adult mind. It transcends what we would think of as appropriate. But for children to want to receive... Is there any greater proclamation of the presence of Jesus Christ in Holy Communion? That they are drawn here to do this. Now, communion is a glorious and beautiful thing. There is nothing more holy and humbling than to be present and to serve, to break off a piece of the body of Christ and give it to someone and say the body of Christ broken for you. It's a beautiful thing, something I treasure every single time we do it. Now, I'm not going to tell you that it isn't filled with human encounter, because it is. And it's a perfect metaphor for living in community because there is nothing messier than this area right here after communion. Thank goodness somebody went with Methodist red and not cream for a rug color because you have splash juice, you've got crumbs, you have things I can't even figure out where they came from. One time I found goldfish crackers. We didn't serve those, but there they were. And so something happens up here, and the messiness is the reality of living in community. Because there should be one place where we can set aside our notions, our troubles, the fractured relationships of our lives, and come here and be open and honest and vulnerable with each other. And it happens at the table every single time. Now, other things happen too. Weird things happen too. I learned my lesson about certain things that you should not do before Holy Communion. So I used to have hair down to here. And I cut it to here in between the last Sunday and Holy Communion. And so all, everybody came down. They were like, your hair. And you're like, the body of Christ broken for you. <laughs> I can't believe you went that short. The body of Christ broken for you. You know, or sometimes it's, oh my gosh, your shoes, the body of Christ broken for you. Right? Because it is this moment where we're together, we are drawn close. This is one of the things where I think the original ancient church members got it. Where they knew that if you get Christians together, we want to talk to each other. And if you don't provide a means to talk to each other, then we do it whenever we can, right? I really like that sermon. The body of Christ broken for you, thank you. Right? We find ways to do it because we have a desire for relationship. God knows this. All of the theology of the United Methodist Church is built on one thing, and that is grace. God's grace for God's people. But it is lived out through relationship. Not only God's relationship with us, but what God is fostering in our relationships with each other. That is what is fed in communion. Because you don't take communion alone. You take communion together. Even when I take communion out into the world or to homes and to the hospital, I take two. Because Jesus says, wherever two or more are gathered, there I am. And Jesus loves Holy Communion. Not only did he give it to us and command us to do it, but he shows up every time we do it. Every time Christ is here with us. And so as we are forgiven of our sins and the full liturgy includes that prayer of confession and the pardon, people who do not partake in the full liturgy of communion do not understand what a beautiful, poignant thing it is 
to say to one another, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And in that moment when you graciously forgive me back, there is nothing like that in all of Christendom. Because in that moment, you are free. You have been liberated from every mistake, every sin, every evil you have brought forth in the world. It is all gone and you are just beautiful and pure. And God says to us, you can have that as often as you want. I will give that to you every single day, multiple times a day if that is what you want. Because I love you that much. I have chosen you. You are mine. I call you by name. I knew you before anyone ever laid eyes on you. And I have loved you from within the womb. And I know that this world will seek to put its mark on you, its stain. And when you come here, God frees you of all of that. Where else can we feel that forgiven, loved, and free? And you see it playing out on faces in different ways. You see it because sometimes people come forward with big grins on their face. Big grins. And they model, I come with joy to meet my Lord, forgiven, loved, and free. Others come contemplating what it meant for their sin to necessitate the cross. And there is sorrow and there is pain. There is introspection. And all of those are appropriate. All of those have their place. And when we gather here, God makes room for all of that for us. There is no inappropriate way to receive communion except to not receive communion. That's why God gives it to us. And God has liberated us from having to judge whether we are worthy of it. In the United Methodist Church, we practice open communion table, which means that anyone who wants to receive can. I don't have to have Kelly stand up here with a checklist to make sure you remember. I also don't have to sit here and go, you know, I've heard them say some wonky theology lately. Maybe they shouldn't do this. I don't have to judge that. And you don't have to judge each other. Here, it is not about judgment. It is about the reconciliation. And if that isn't the model for what it means out there to be a Christian, I don't know what is. We are given this gift, and we are invited to receive it, to demand it. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses. There is so much about communion that words will never fully encompass. There is so much about this means of grace that you must experience. That's why in the United Methodist Church, it's often referred to as a converting ordinance. That Jesus said we should do it, and so we do. But in the midst of doing what Jesus said, we find that our hearts are changed. Every human being from the dawn of humanity was created with a God-shaped hole in their heart. And nothing but God will fill it. And trust me, humankind have been trying to fill it with many different things. Substances, money, possessions, power, earthly authority, but none of them will ever make us feel whole. But every time we take Holy Communion, a piece of that whole is filled with God's love, grace, and presence with us. And it strengthens us and equips us to go out into the world to do the work that we have to do. And so communion is not just a means of grace. It is a means by which we live out our grace. 
that we are able to do things because of our relationship, our redemption through Jesus Christ, that we could never do alone, that we would never have the ability to even consider and fathom if it weren't for God's Spirit encouraging us and equipping us, challenging us, and walking with us as we go forward to live that out. So communion is ours because God has said so. We give it to children. We give it to adults. We give it to anyone, regardless of their affiliation with our church. Communion is yours because God says so. Let no one close the gate to the table for you. It is yours. And if you desire it, then it shall be given to you. And there are times when you might not feel worthy. There are times when you think, Lord, I cannot go there. But remember that on the night in which he instituted Holy Communion, Jesus gathered with his disciples, knowing fully that some of them would betray him, abandon him. Some of them would be steadfast and stout-hearted, but others would fail. They would be fractured. They would fall away. And yet he gave it to all of them equally. And if Christ was willing to do that with them, he has proclaimed boldly to us here and now that he will do it for us as well. There has not been a day since its institution that Christians somewhere have not partaken of Holy Communion. And when we do, we are part of a living, lasting legacy that says that the church at its core, at its foundation, is about forgiveness. Because grace encompasses forgiveness and love. And at the table, it is ours. I give thanks for that truth every single time we celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion. And I pray that the next time we are gathered together, that not only will we come with joy, but we will be empowered and remember that this is something that God did for us long before our first breath, much less the first beat of our heart. May this means of grace be ours this day and every day thereafter for the honor and glory of God Almighty, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.